mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, it's Candace and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. Especially not in a year like 2020. <laughs> that is so true. But we're we're all trying our best. And that's what this episode, this is a two-parter episode um, that has to do with sitting down with some of our local teachers here in Los Angeles. Uh, I have three kids in this house, as you've heard me talk about on this podcast. I have um, our two oldest girls, my stepdaughters, who... Um, our oldest is a senior and then freshman. And then we have a four-year-old together who's in preschool. So since March of this year, we've been doing the dance that many families, um, not just in our country, but in the world have been doing of trying to figure out how we can stay safe during COVID-19 and also continue our kids' education to the best of everyone's ability and it's been really hard. It's been hard on us as parents trying to um, 
be able to give answers to questions that have no answers, like when school will return, um, when will things feel normal again? What do we do? Um, why isn't the printer working? I think that's been one of the more <laughs> difficult ones. Why did I get kicked off this Zoom? I mean, there I just can't even imagine what it's like for all of you parents at home right now, not only having jobs and living your normal lives, but also having to help assist and essentially in some circumstances help teach your children. And if you have multiple children, what that experience is like. And um, we also wanted to hear about it from the teacher's perspective because we love our teachers so much and we want to hear what their lives are like and how their lives have changed, what it was like for them pre-pandemic and what it's like now. So we wanted to sit down over these next two weeks with a few teachers here in Los Angeles and hear about their experience. And hopefully for any parents who are struggling out there, this gives some clarity of maybe what some teachers are are dealing with this year. Um, For any other teachers that are listening, maybe you just can feel hear from your comrades. Um, And for any students that are listening, hopefully this gives um, some perspective that it's been really tough on everyone. And and again, I just want to give So all the snaps and the kudos and the love and the hugs to any students listening on how difficult this has been and disruptive this has been for your life. And just know that you are heard, you are understood. This is not normal circumstances. And everyone knows that you're doing your best as well. In this first episode, we are going to have a conversation with Sarah Rowe. Um, who not only is a passionate kindergarten teacher, early childhood enthusiast, and lover of learning, um, she's also one of my best friends. And I'm so grateful to have been able to sit down and have this conversation with her. She's been a kindergarten teacher for five years and working in early education for eight years. We're also going to sit down with Alex Fishman. He teaches kindergarten through sixth grade as the technology specialist at a prestigious private school. And it was really interesting to get the two different perspectives, two different grade levels, two different school districts, and two different kinds of struggle throughout this pandemic. We really wanted to make these episodes love letters to the teachers. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Miss Sarah Rowe and Mr. Alex Fishman. Sarah had to go to her district and have them approve the whole thing and everything just to be on the podcast. So she was like, don't worry, it's my friend. I promise they'll paint us in a good light. So we're we're all good. The superintendent approved me, so I'm good to go. (laughs) That's insane. Wow. That Um, gives any indication to, you know, what you, like every single step that teachers are going through right now and just as a state, what California is dealing with right now as far as trying to get, you know, teachers able to educate the children. (laughs) And it's, that's a lot. Right. The most important job that we have right now to educating our kids. Yeah. Um, Thank you for saying that. It's true. So, okay. I guess, Sarah, uh, I asked you this while we, before when we weren't recording, but behind you is the cutest backdrop. And I'm wondering (laughs) if you're in a classroom or if you're in your house right now. Yeah. So I was saying that I come into my classroom and I teach from here just because for me, it's like my happy place. And I was given the okay to come into my classroom to teach from here. Um, but I'm not mandated to come in. So I was saying some districts, they, they 
wanted teachers to come in and teach from their rooms. My district gave us the option and we just have to come in and scan like a QR code every morning and just say, you know, I don't have a fever. I've been free of symptoms. And so that's pretty much what we do. And then, but teachers do have the option to stay home. So a lot of the teachers, it's probably about, yeah, it's probably about 50, 50. Some teachers stayed home just for safety. Like they take care of their elderly parents or they have underlying conditions. So they decided to just come, you know, work from home all the time. And then some do it some days from here, some days from home. Wow. And do you see other people when you're there on the campus? Yes, I see other people, but I mean, we're like so safe and we just, you know, wave from afar and we always wear our masks like all the time. And so I only take my mask off when I'm in my classroom alone and uh, it's, it's been super safe. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's just, for me, it's all my teaching things are here. This is my comfort zone and my happy place. And it's good for the kids because I can put all like you were saying, I can put all my anchor charts and I have all my books here and all of my, you know, math manipulatives. And over here is like a whole math wall. And so I can move the computer so that I can see all of my, you know, my materials. And it's just a lot easier. And then too, I can leave work at work and go home and be home because Mm -hmm. that was really difficult for me in the, in the spring was I was working all from home when we first, you know, went into the pandemic and it was really challenging for me to turn it off because I've never had to work from home before, you know? So I didn't really have that skill. Right. No, I can see how difficult that would be. I love that already twice, just, just as we're already sitting down to talk already twice, you've said that, uh, your classroom is your happy place. Uh, what made you want to become a teacher? When did you know that you wanted to be a teacher? Yeah. You know, I think that I wanted to become a teacher. I was solid in that because, you know, I went through that normal journey of graduating college and kind of do I, what do I want to do? And I got a job in a preschool. And honestly, I had no, I know it sounds really funny, but I had no bad days. I would Mm -hmm. drive to work and I would be so excited to get there just because the kids were so funny. They just, everything, every day, no matter how your day was going or what you were doing, kids truly, I truly feel this, they just bring joy. You know what I mean? It's just that for me, it's just all about kids. I just fell in love with working with kids and being around kids every single day. And especially having the privilege and the honor to get to know them and be such a huge part of their life is just really, really meaningful to me. It really means a lot. So that's really why I am a teacher. You are the kind of teacher every parent wants. That's for sure. And you guys, for those listening who don't know, Sarah and I have been best friends since seventh grade. She was one of my first (laughs) friends when I joined the school and didn't know anyone. And um, you've just always loved so much, you know, the enthusiasm. You've just been so enthusiastic from day one. But I... Like growing up, did you have a favorite teacher? Did one of our teachers inspire you to become a kindergarten teacher? Yeah. You know, I never knew I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. I actually started out. I know this is not everyone's teaching journey, but again, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. So I kind of thought I wanted to be a teacher. So I actually went to Japan for a year and I got a job in an English school and um, I just started teaching there. And then I kind of fell in love with teaching, but I looked back on my teachers that inspired me and I thought, okay, I have these specific teachers in mind that like 
you know, my second grade teacher that just really cared for us or, you know, teachers from high school. And I kind of thought back on why do these teachers inspire me? And it's mostly because they cared about me, right? They cared about me. These teachers, they knew me. They knew what was unique about me. And I'm not sure if you have that same experience, but the teachers that I think back on, there's many. And it's not even like it has to be someone from school. It could have been my dance teacher or something like that. It's just a, it's just a matter of adults that teach you to be confident in who you are and feel like, you know, you're special and that there's a reason why you're special. And so that you can, you know, kind of just come out of your shell and be who you are. To me, those were the teachers that really inspired me. And that's what I think back on. Like, there's just, there's too many to name. It goes through, you know, elementary school to high school, to grad school, to, you know, just the the whole, there's lots of them, but yes. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people forget it, especially in a year like 2020, um, you know, where parents are maxed out and stressed, teachers are maxed out and stressed, students are maxed out and stressed, but how um, emotional it is for the teachers, not just because they're trying to do their job, but because they really do get attached and want to support these kids. You know, mm-hmm. you, you guys get to know these kids. It's funny earlier this year, um, you know, obviously it was like right after the shutdown, like a month or two after. And um, our four-year-old's preschool was doing like, you could do a little parade drive by the teachers and wave and, you know, last minute, one of the other parents was like, are you guys going? We're going to drive by. It's supposed to be really cute. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. <laughs> Everyone get in the car during the global pandemic so we can all wave. And I'm so glad that we did because the second we got there, the teachers are waving. We made, we had little signs that we I whipped together in two seconds. And I'm, the teachers are crying. Teachers that quite frankly, one I hadn't even really gotten along with. She's crying. I'm crying. You know, my four-year-old's just like waving, being like, I miss you. And I'm just like, oh yeah, this is what, this, this is what happens, you know, between drop off and pick up time that I, it's so easy to forget as a parent. Yes. Candace, I'm so like thankful that you can see that and say that because when we shut down, literally in March, we found out the news and it was like, Hey, you might, we're going to come back in two weeks, right? We're going to come back in maybe a month. And then when we found out that we were not coming back, I mean, I legitimately went through some trauma because I was so heartbroken that I might not be able to see these kids in person again. And to have, we had one of those little parades, like you said, and we were so excited to see, I was bawling my eyes out. I was bawling my eyes out to fifth graders. I'm a kindergarten teacher. And I was seeing kids that I knew just from saying hello in the hallways. And I was just a mess. And it's because we are so um, invested in your children. I think that's what I really want to get across is that we care so much about your children. We think about them. We go home. We just want the best for them. And so, you know, when we thought, well, we can't finish out these years and we, we thought about what they could be missing. It just, it just, I can't always speak for myself, but it really was traumatic for me. Right. And so what has teaching 
been like now that you're starting a new school year and we are still in this pandemic? I mean, compared to what you just described, seeing kids in hallways and saying hi to them and having relationships with your students and how much you truly care about them. And now it's all virtual through a screen. So what is what can you describe to us from the teacher's perspective, the difference? Yeah, so that was something that obviously, especially coming from a kindergarten teacher perspective, I was so concerned, right? Because a lot of kindergarten students, when they come into me, they've never been in school. So mm-hmm. I really wasn't sure how, how are they going to connect with me? How are they going to know that I'm even a real person, right? I'm just in a screen. We were joking that we were Sesame Street. We were just <laughs> like saying, you know, I am Big Bird, my other teammates, Elmo. We were just joking that we were on the screen. And so we really, really, really committed to connecting and building relationships with each kid. So we took time and said, um, we're going to make an appointment with you. And we had a one-on-one just with each student. And we just talked about whatever they wanted. You know, they, some of us showed them their toy dinosaurs. They love to talk about unicorns and narwhals. And we just listened and we talked too. And then, um, we also had a one-on-one with the families with the child and just said, you know, how are you feeling? How are you feeling about distance learning? How's everything going? Is there anything we can put your mind at ease with? And I think building that connection with students is just the most important thing because we always have a saying that kids have to trust you and they have to connect with you. Otherwise they're really not going to learn from you. Mm. So just like you were saying is that they, because they're not able to see me in person, I had to really, really set out time to make them know that I care about them and that I am really interested in who they are and what makes them special. And so that was something that we really, really committed to. So we also sent out like surveys to the parents or the families just asking, you know, just, what is your child like? What is your child not like? How are they feeling? How are like the same thing? We just put out so much information just to learn and, um, just make a connection. You know what I mean? And yeah. And I mean, teaching through the screen, (laughs) it's, it's, it's challenging. I'm not going to lie, but these kids, I am being 100% truthful when I say they have impressed me so much. I mean, they are just doing such an incredible job. You know what I mean? They are, we zoom from 90, we do 90 minutes. Um, so basically California came out this, when fall, you know, when the fall school year came out, we are mandated to teach live for a certain amount of minutes. So normally in the classroom, you know, we're getting up, we're getting down, we're singing, we're dancing, we're going to recess, we're going to the garden, we're going to lunch. So there's always breaks in between, but now we're mandated to Zoom with them for for kindergarten is at least 90 minutes. So every kindergarten child has to receive 90 minutes of of live instruction. A day, 90 minutes a day. Okay. 90 minutes a day. And then they also have to receive 90 minutes of what we call asynchronous work, which means independent work. So that means that we're Zooming with them for 90 minutes, and then they're also getting some independent work to do at home. And so what we're trying to do with that is that's all work that we're trying to build up to be independent. So less and less parent, you know, help with it. In kindergarten, that's <laughs> that's so, so hard. So, so hard. And we just know that it's, it's, I mean, the parents that we, we have to have parent help, you know what I mean? But our goal is not to have the parent teach or the families teach. It's just to be there to, you know, assist. Mm-hmm. So 
that's really our goal. And just to kind of help them, we call it productive struggle, which means like we're, they're going to struggle through it, but it's all productive and you're just there to support and encourage and they can do it. So what we're trying to teach families is that kindergartners and up, we can, we're doing it. You know what I mean? (laughs) So that's, um, really how it's been, but we've just been trying to make it fun. I mean, we, we still sing, we still dance, we still do tons of fun things. We are up, we are down, you know? And so that's really, that's really the most challenging part is making it super fun, super fast, super, you know, busy and entertaining. I mean, you mentioned, uh, parental participation, especially for younger kids, it's, it's instrumental. I mean, if you have older kids in the house that know how to work their way around a cell phone and a computer, you know, they can kind of navigate um, distance learning and virtual classes more capable. They're more capable to do that on their own. But when you've got little kids, it, you have to participate. And I can imagine that you know, you have empathy and sympathy for parents that are trying to balance maybe jobs or other children as well. And, but what has been kind of, has there been a moment with um, a family or a parent where you've like realized, oh, they're at their wits end or had to kind of like talk them through something or, or learned from an experience? Cause this is new for everybody, right. you know, and this is not something that I think you ever learned that you were going to have to deal with um, <laughs> as a teacher. So I'm sure that you've had to explain like, I'm doing my best as well in this situation. Yes, most definitely. It's like, like I said, when we shut down in March, I did not know what Zoom was. I had zero idea what it was. I learned from another teacher friend who said, hey, I started doing these Zoom things. And I said, I don't know what that is. (laughs) And so basically we just had to, yeah, we just had to learn. So exactly what you're saying for us is exactly how parents are feeling too. And I think what the stress of what parents feel often is, well, I, I feel like I'm not a credentialed teacher, right? I don't, I don't know what, how to teach this to my child. I don't know how to explain it in the best of ways. So what we're, what we're really committed to this year too, is just parent education and parent engagement and just really making sure that parents feel like they are every, everything's clear and communicated to them and that they know what they, you know, kind of what their responsibilities are. And then also what they're, what they're, they do not need to be responsible for. Mm. For example, like when I'm on Zoom, like just like we were saying is I cannot expect a kindergartner to keep signing themselves in and out of Zoom, right? So if I have to do multiple Zooms during the day, I cannot expect a five-year-old to be able to log in and log out. So I mean, I can't even do that sometimes. (laughs) I'm on the wrong Zoom link and so yeah, of course you can't. Right. So that was something we were, I mean, that was the first thing we considered was, okay, how are we going to make this the most easy for parents? So we just decided to do it straight through. So instead of logging them in and out, we take breaks. And so I put on this really funny picture of me, like it's break time. And then we play music and they know that that's their break time and they go get snack and they go get water. And then I ring a bell you know, and they know to come back and they do, they come right back. And that was just one way to kind of alleviate those responsibilities for parents. Because imagine having four kids at home that you're trying to all log in to different Zooms, to do different asynchronous work, to do different things throughout the day. It must just be so challenging so that we we are family's biggest advocates and biggest cheerleaders and biggest teammates, right? So we're only here to support you 
as families, we're here to make you feel encouraged and also make you feel, I I guess, supported, truly. Like families just Mm -hmm. need to feel supported. And that's what we are. I personally am just, I can only fathom because I'm not a parent myself. So I, I can only explain that I'm just here for whatever you need. You know, even if it's just a moment to talk through things, to ask a question, all those things is just, I'm just here to support you however I can. It's been such a roller coaster ride with this pandemic and the school system. I, in the beginning, you teachers were being held with such in such high praise. Every every parent was like, "Wow, I can't believe how teachers have done this. This is incredible. I, I will appreciate so much more my teachers." And then we talked as a nation about reinvesting in education, and it and it, then it went there, and it seemed like things were going to be implemented to make true change in our education system. And then so quickly, it felt like you guys were taken off pedestals and then people were talking about putting you back in the classroom even though we're in a in a global pandemic and it's such a roller coaster ride for you guys I mean was there a possibility of you teaching in person at some point yes so originally starting in spring we came up with a team of administrators like principals and um you know superintendents district board board members and teachers that were just coming up with the best plan to come back in person starting in the fall. And we were also, um, you know, just, yeah, we were just kind of just following the CDC guidelines, right? We're kind of mulling over what, how are we going to do all this? Right. Mm -hmm. And so then um, uh, as it started to get sooner and sooner, our union, so, so teachers are, we have a union, right. That works with our, our district and our board members. And I'm very fortunate that I truly trust my union and my district and my board members and what they tell me, I know has the best interest of our students and our families and us, you know, in mind. So when we saw that the numbers were still where they are, I mean, people, teachers were really getting very frightened. I mean, to, mm-hmm. they were just very scared. And it wasn't just for ourselves because we understand the importance of our job and we understand how it must be for families. Trust us. We, I can always, again, speak for myself, but I, I, I know how hard and challenging it is for families. It's just that we just want to be safe for our kids and families. And just to make sure that if, if again, if any student, became sick because of school and, or a family member from home, I, I don't think I'd forgive my, I don't think mm-hmm. I would be able to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. And it's just, we just want to be safe. So if the CDC tells us it's safe and we have guidelines and we feel like those are um, manageable and doable, then we, I, I think the majority of us are ready. We miss, we miss it. I mean, we miss coming in. We love it here. It's just that we just want to do it the safest as possible. And of course, we're all very concerned for our families too, for our own families at home. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but Kayla knows this and it's open. But I mean, I have really elderly parents. My dad has mm-hmm. terminal lung cancer. My mom just had a stroke. I, I, when we do go back in person, I will not be able to see them in person. So that's a very frightening thought, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm not the only person that has those thoughts. And some people are literally living with their elderly parents or some people have children with underlying conditions. It's, 
there's a lot to take into consideration. So yeah, when we, we were thinking about doing a hybrid, which we will still do if we go back in person, which would either be two days on and then two days off, or it would be like an AM PM group for us. So that would be what we were kind of mulling over. And then when we saw that it wasn't the safest option, then we just went straight into distance learning, you know, and we just, we just kept our wheels moving. We just, we just keep doing what we're doing. It's funny. I was going to ask you if you feel like a hybrid mode is asking too much of teachers or is it the same amount of work? I will be honest that we're doing that now with our Zooms. So that's something that I feel pretty privileged. Oh, kindergarten only for my school, but we are following an AM and a PM model. So it is double work. It is. Mm-hmm. I'm basically repeating the same lessons that I do in the morning and the afternoon. But that's what's best for these kids. Because imagine being on a Zoom with 25 five-year-olds right? Versus, versus 12 and 13, you know, split. So at Mm -hmm. least I can see them and I can kind of say, okay, you know, if you were my student, I would say, Kayla, are you okay? How's it going? And I can see you, but when it's 25, I'm having a really difficult time keeping, you know, making sure that everyone's needs are getting met. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is more work. 100% it is more work, truly double. But it's worth it in the end, just for, you know, effectiveness and for in-person safety. I do think that it will be um, the most beneficial, at least to phase us in, you know. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for parents who are keeping their kids at home? Like right now for our four-year-old, I I didn't know what was going to happen. So earlier this summer, what my husband and I felt was the best decision for her was to keep her home from preschool. And because we knew that it was going to be tough with, we have older kids as well, um, juggling all the computers and being able to focus, I found um, a homeschooling program to basically where we would homeschool preschool our four-year-old for six months, give it at least six months before trying to figure out what the next plan was. Um, And... It's exactly what you were describing earlier. I have no idea what I'm doing. I feel (laughs) not qualified. You know, she'll, you know, I'll ask her, what is this letter? And she's like, it's a B. And I'm like, no, it's... (laughs) not you know, like, it's a j like, you know and i'm like how do you teach a child letters and and luckily this program has really really helped me um but what advice do you have for parents who are um or even for those times you know right now as a kindergarten teacher when you know the parents have like these break times with their kids like what is the most important thing that i that uh kids with parents, with younger kids, what they can do for their younger kids um, that obviously they can't experience in a classroom. Is it the importance of that break time? Is the importance of that physical activity? Or is there something as far as like with numbers or maps or the alphabet or math that you feel is like the most important thing to focus on? Yeah. So that's kind of what was so relieving about this new model of the synchronous versus asynchronous with, with public school, at least. I don't know about preschool, like homeschool, because when you homeschool, right, the responsibility is mostly on the parent, even though they give you kind of support and they give you the curriculum and all of that. So what we're trying to do in, in, in our model is that the synchronous live Zooms are just what you're saying are the things that we feel parents will have the most difficult time, you know, um, 
giving the curriculum. So for example, I've been educated for a long time on the best ways to teach letters and sounds like you're saying. So for me, it's easy, but for parents, me too, I would, I wouldn't know where to begin. Right. So that's kind of what we're thinking of that synchronous lifetime is the stuff that's the most difficult for parents. Like, um, imagine writing with five-year-olds. So for us, we've been, I mean, imagine writing, even teaching the child how to grip the pencil, right? I, I can barely do it. Um, so that's stuff that like the parent could do, right? Is that I, I, I have a difficult time doing that through the computer, but one thing that I can teach is the writing process and ways to write. And I know that sounds funny in kindergarten, but we do teach that is kind of like what it means to be a writer and Mm -hmm. all of the, the things that we do in class, but you can teach, you know, how to hold the pencil and, you know, maybe just alphabet tracing and those kind of things. Those are things that we feel like, okay, I think parents have a good concept of how to do that. But those difficult things that we feel like, Ooh, that would be so hard as a parent. We're trying to do that in our synchronous time in our zoom time. I think of all the grades to teach right now during a pandemic that kindergarten would be one of the hardest because so much of kindergarten is coming and learning to share and being with other kids and learning that, okay, this is, this is what we call school. And so now all of that has completely changed and it is now through a screen. It, let's say you do go back into hybrid mode or you do are, you are able to go back in person finally, you know, mm-hmm. once it's safe, um, is there a way, is there something set up so that the classroom has Clorox wipes and people are, you know, how does that process look? I mean, there's so many other things at play here. I know that, you know, you as teachers have to buy a lot of the materials yourself for your classroom. So is, has anyone talked about, you know, who buys the Clorox wipes and disinfects everything? Yes. Well, again, I'm, I feel extremely fortunate because my district like really has addressed that with us because uh, again, right. The union and the board and district people working together. So our union will really negotiate that for us and say, okay, where are we going to get these items from? And so we, we are promised, like we will have a huge bottle of hand sanitizer. We will get Clorox, you know, wipes as, as often as we need it. And they've been extremely committed to giving us what we need. However, we haven't started yet. Right. So I, I can't say for sure, but I will say that I've been watching other you know, states and other, other areas that have been going back in person. And I think that's a huge struggle, especially if, if, you know, you can't get donations of those kind of things and, and it's not being supplied to you. I mean, it, it's, it has to come down to being professionally cleaned. I mean, if we want to be super safe, we have to professionally clean these classrooms. And another thing we're going to have to do is just like you were saying, is that these kids cannot, we cannot share. So each child is going to have to have their own materials and supplies. And so we're so used to sharing. I mean, in kindergarten, that's all we do is we share in the morning. I mean, I was even laughing to myself thinking about the way that we used to come into the classroom. So every morning I would have the kids, I would have the kids whisper a secret password to me in my ear. So they would, you know, I would have like a sight word or a number or something. And they would, I would say, okay, what's the secret password? And they would go, 
two plus two, you know, and they would just, <laughs> you know, all the saliva. All the spit, and, all, all the, yeah. and then the second that we sit down on the carpet, we're singing and we're shaking hands. Good morning. Right. So we wouldn't be doing any of that. Then also the supplies, we go right into math, which is a lot of counting. It's a lot of objects, right. And they're all shared reading. We share all of our books. They are classroom books. And so we would, we really, we were preparing a really good system on how we could prevent sharing and have each kid have their own, you know, bag for at least a few weeks at a time. Mm. So when we do go back in person, that'll be something that we will work out. I mean, truly it would be like a tray, I think of just supplies. It would be like, this is, Kay- this is Kayla's pencil. These are Kayla's pencils. These are Kayla's um, counting collections. These are Kayla's uh, books. And that would just be your tray. And that would be your tray for, that way we would ha- get away from the, you know, sharing and touching. And then in between, we would really have to just sanitize. And like I said, we're just watching other districts and other areas to see their best practices of how they're doing it so that we can mm. learn learn from them. Even just the financial cost of that alone, though, if you have 30 kids in your classroom, you need 30 sets of everything. And I'm just going to give Sarah a little shout out because on her 35th birthday, we were asking her what she wanted for her birthday. And she just said, all I want are more books for my kids. And so she (laughs) sent us a list of books because you felt like your classroom didn't necessarily have books that um, represented every single one of them. Um, and so we all sent you books and I think I sent you, we had Mina Harris on our podcast and I sent you Maya and Kamala's, um, Yes. Um, big, big idea. Big idea. Thank you. Yeah. That book rules, by the way, that book is so awesome. But what a testament to who you are and how invested you are in your kids that for your birthday, you don't want anything for yourself. You want it for your classroom. And that's something that, I mean, we, we can start a GoFundMe for all you teachers because you're going to have to create and find these supplies somewhere again. Yes, definitely. And that would be so amazing. I mean, only if you can, you know, this are, these are hard times for all of us, you know, but like we said, I mean, we will have to get double of everything, you know, so that these kids can have their own belongings, you know, and their own supplies. But thank you so much for thinking of us teachers and thinking of, of us school districts too. I mean, we're all, we're all really trying our best to give these kids and our families what they need. Sarah, what is, is there anything that comes to the top of your head? Um, what parents can do to help, especially parents with younger kids, um, what they can do to support the teacher more, or if they're having a tough time, a a great way to communicate that to their child's teacher? Yeah, I think that just, I think a mindset of we are a team. We are a team. We are a home and school team, right? So I'm here to support you and you're here to support me. And we're in this for your child. You know what I mean? We're, we are here to support and give your child all that they need. So if we work together, then that's the best way that we're going to give your child the support in their learning during this time. Mm-hmm. And also, I think one thing that is really difficult for parents of young kids is just like that productive struggle, right? It's sometimes we want to do everything for them because it's hard to watch your kid you know, not be able to hold the pencil correctly or not be able to do something that they seem difficult. But I think if we really encourage that productive struggle with young kids, they will get it. And then they feel so in early childhood, we always learn that independence and autonomy, we say is the most important thing for a kid. The second, right. Think about like riding a bike. 
the second that they can get that, those training wheels off and they can do it by themselves. I mean, that, that amazing feeling that they have, you know what I mean? So that's something that I think would be the most important for parents. And that's what I told my families at back to school night was just, I know it's so tempting to hit the mute and unmute for your child (laughs) during zoom, you know, but they're going to have to do it by themselves. So just let them. And if they hit the button, if they hit the stop video, no big deal, right? We just teach them, hit it again and no problem. And so we've, we've made huge strides in that sense. And I think, yeah, just, just understanding that teachers really love your children and we care for them so, so deeply and that we are here just to, as a, as a, as a team, as your cheerleader, Mm -hmm. as your teammate, and as your child's biggest like advocate, that's the best way that I can say it. Oh, well, you did a really good job, Sarah, saying it. Well, thank you. (laughs) I could talk about this all day. I know. And I know every parent listening is just enamored by you and and your love for the kids. And I know they all wish and hope that they have a teacher just like you. And we've all had teachers like you in our lives that have inspired us and made us who we are today. And we're just so grateful that you sat down with us to talk about this and share your insight. And um, are there any last thoughts you have for anyone listening? Yeah, you, I just want to say thank you to you and for allowing us teachers to have, you know, a voice and just explain to parents and to everyone out there just how much school and education and your children mean to us. And Sarah has a really great Instagram to follow. Um, can you can you give us the handle, Sarah? Yes, my handle is is Miss M S dot um, row R O W E, and then Kinder K A I N D E R. And I just post all about my love for kindergarten and kids and early childhood and what I'm learning from other teachers. And so, thank you for for plugging me. Yes, of course, it truly is something really fun to follow and watch you help change our youth. So, thanks. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. And we're back. But I think what we're realizing is that even in the best of circumstances, you know, it's still rooted in the fact that this is a new experience for everybody. And I mean, we're starting this conversation. You've just gotten home from the doctor, the pediatrician, because your child had fallen. You also are teaching full time every single day um, to multiple grades, right? You teach, uh, what grades do you teach? um, If you could share with our listeners. So I work with uh, around like 350 kids across from kindergarten to sixth grade. I'm one of those specialists, you know, like, which again, right, the, a role that's in public schools is is disappearing. Um, my school has a technology special along with other specials like, you know, uh, world languages and arts and music. And it's lovely to have that even in a, you know, even in this bizarro version where like people are doing music class with a bunch of kids on Zoom all on mute, um, (laughs) strumming to, you know, to their parents who are also on a Zoom, (laughs) you know, um, but it's, it's still something, right? Like that's, that's an amazing thing that that's possible in a school like mine that's super affluent where they're able to like 
send instruments home to kids. Wow. Whereas uh, I started my career in Chicago and for nine years was working in not not what I'm working in right now. So with kind of a lot more typical public school students. And, uh, you know, it was like I was the technology teacher for a couple of years of then there. And that also was the stand-in for any type of music or arts program. Like the excuse was just like, well, you have this, he does multimedia and stuff. So you guys got iMovie. So sorry. Wow. We didn't get to, uh, and, and, you know, not, and not just in, I'm saying it in this glib way, but it's more like the reality of, you know, the school just, well, you know, we can get you PE. We can get you, okay, you'll get this, whatever this tech thing is, which is a weird thing that that's a special because it's like, what what do I teach about? Like how to work your toaster or how to like start your car or like it's technology. It's the, it's kind of a a random umbrella. It is such a random umbrella, but it's interesting because now in this crazy global pandemic, technology is what's keeping us all together. Technology is the only reason all of our kids can now learn via Zoom and do all these things, whether it's music class or anything, any grade level. And I can't imagine how that feels for you to be um, teaching multiple different grades through the lens of the you know screen and how what is that like teaching? Are you having to now take over a lot more being the technology specialist at your school during the pandemic? Yeah, like definitely, especially the first couple of months and then really the summer too. Like I know one thing that my school is in common, I think a lot of schools is the teachers just really didn't have a summer instead of like unplugging or having a chance to reset everyone just spent all this time either rewriting curriculum, rearranging spaces, um, you know, for the schools that are able to go back, right. Creating that six foot or whatever possible distance of feet between desks requires a lot of, um, you know, a lot of person power. And, you know, in some places I know, my friend, I still have a lot of friends in Chicago who still teach in public and, you know, their school was kind of like, well, here we've provided some cleaning materials and here's your, your spaces, right? So, um, which is, uh, which is scary. I know right. something that you told me to think about was like, whether I was offered a chance to go back in and whether I was eager to or not eager to. And I, I wasn't eager to go back into my space. My my room happens to not have any windows. It happens to be a kind of, it, it's a big fancier room. It makes it sound like, you know, it's not like one of those public school situations where it's like a repurposed something else that wasn't meant to be a classroom. It's a great classroom. It just so happens that it's inside. Like the only opening is just a door that leads to another enclosed space. So. Um, but anyway, ended up not being an option anyway. Any, any teachers like me, you see like that large amount of kids. It's just, even when hopefully we do return, 
classes like mine will probably be the last ones to return. I'm sort of not, ex- I'm not expecting to necessarily see my kids in person, maybe until the spring, uh, mostly because it'd be like seeing so many kids as opposed to like a homeroom teacher who can kind of stay with one of those, you know, mandated kind of 12 kid pods or whatever and, and, and achieve that. Right. What did, what did it feel like this past March when everything happened? I mean, every, I think every teacher and every various grade has had a different experience, but for you personally um, and for teachers that you worked with, what was the consensus of what was going on? I mean, we all thought this was a temporary thing. You know, the students thought this was temporary. The teachers thought this was temporary. And then as you just described, um, obviously it wasn't. And then you rolled right into trying to reconfigure a curriculum for a fall that you didn't know what that was going to look like either. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not like a health expert. I'm not a policy expert. So you know, it's hard to speak to those things. You definitely, I, I think like a lot of my colleagues, like a lot of us, you got that, you got a sense that like, this is, um, you know, not going well. And then considering kind of the state our country's in, right. Um, it's always wonderful when like some of our public institutions like function as intended. And it particularly in this time, that's, just so kind of dark like it's nice when things do work you know there are some systems that did work and did make sense um and you appreciate that you know like being able like going to you know going to the cdc site and at least like reading like whatever descriptions or explanations and just being able to bring your blood pressure down just a tiny little bit Maybe the nice thing to go back to what you started with is because I had to figure out where all these Zoom links were going to go and where all everyone's PDFs were going to live and what about, you know, the teacher that hadn't done anything digital. Um, I spent so much time just worrying about all these logistical issues that I didn't spend as much time doom scrolling. And then I learned more about that um, over the summer when there were a little bit more gaps in between all the different meetings we were having. And, and, um, and it's not good. And, the, you know, the kids are in it too. So that's not good for them either because they are definitely very, you know, very aware of what's going on uh, through their parents and just through media and, and are bringing it to the... Right. I mean, how can you not be? Everyone's life has changed tremendously in the past few months. Um, can you talk to us about what teaching was like pre-pandemic versus what it is now f- from your experience? I, I think for, it's like you mentioned this idea of like tech being the, the connection for a lot of kind of people in my closer circle and um you know, there's this idea of connected learning and it's not new. It's been around for a long time. It means that we know that learning doesn't end when you leave a webinar or a TED talk or a classroom or whatever. You know, the site of learning is the, the learner 
and it happens across contexts, you know. Um, and the idea is to understand learning in that way, right? And see this, the, the tech pieces, alongside the non-techy pieces, alongside your library and your conversation with your family as just connections and access, right? And seeing all this as, you know, the process of learning is ongoing. It's not going to stop, especially if the learning is interesting. And so how do you make sure that it's connected? You can connect to good information, you know, about your topic rather than just the recommended YouTube video on your topic, right? Or some conspiracy theory. How do you, you know, asking those questions rather than like, tech versus no tech, you know, handwriting versus typing, right? I feel like those are like the wrong questions. So for me, because I got to, for the last like five years, I've just been teaching tech. I started out as like a regular, you know, I taught third grade, fourth, fifth. Um, then I kind of drifted into this tech space. So it's nice because I get to try to live out that model so my actual, like my actual class itself isn't going through as many changes, you know? I mean, there's a ton of changes about how we have the conversations, but like our big questions that we're trying to answer, like, you know, we still ask these big questions about technology and about how we make things and aren't just passive consumers. And we still have conversations and small groups about them, except now it's in a breakout room. Mm -hmm. And then we get to have a debate where, you know, some of my colleagues think that if some, if two kids are in a breakout room, that's like you left them alone in another room or somewhere like on campus. Or does it mean that that's two kids turning and talking to each other too far from the teacher to hear, which is a normal thing that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Which one is it? Um, I don't know. So, and so a breakout me, room is essentially like the kids go into a, a different chat room. But with Zoom, you know, we have these like extra rooms I can put people in and they can talk to each other and I can configure who's in what room. And I think the only way this can work is if we lean on that. And, you know, because in a classroom, even if the teacher is like, that awful teacher's just going to keep talking and not not let the kids work with each other or turn and talk. Like, they're still going to talk. Like, maybe when they get their snack, maybe, like, they're going to pass notes. So you have to allow for that. And um, that's become really important, I think. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. You mentioned conversations with the students um, and how those have changed. How have, have they changed? You know, especially for elementary school kids. I mean, I remember being in elementary school and like, I didn't want to raise my hand and draw attention where some kids are maybe more comfortable with that. But especially in like a Zoom set, setting, are, are these kids kind of having to relearn how to participate in class in a new way? And are you having to kind of draw them out of that at all? There's, yeah, there's a little bit of relearning. I think there's more of, like a lot of kids are teaching their teachers how to be in these spaces. Because even if, I mean, they haven't been sitting on Zoom. But even kids who are, you know, even like these like eight and nine and 10 year olds, they know how chat works. 
a lot of them are on if if their family can afford to give them a phone um they're on a group text with all their friends often during class they're on a group text with all their friends mm-hmm. you know fact checking or just sending emojis so like if you open the chat you're going to get that chat language if you are somebody who's you know a little a little bit familiar like you can you can read what like an emoji means or you can respond to how like young people text, then that would be a great advantage for you as a teacher. Um, there's still a lot of things we can teach them about like how actually to have conversations like with, with our mouths that are super important. <laughs> I'm not trying to say, I never want to belittle all the knowledge that like the older, the grown ups have to offer even in digital spaces. But I think it's a give and take because like if the kid's been sitting on Twitch for hours and watching somebody streaming games and has learned like all this vernacular of how do you use emojis and little texts and reactions. And that's also like a valid like way of communicating. And maybe they can like share that or if they're totally denied that, then they become, then you get to know like what trolling is as a teacher and you or you get spammed in the chat by someone just like spamming a letter or the same word over and over and that's them communicating something too i guess right that's so crazy i never really thought about how kids are also teaching teachers how to be in zooms and what that's like and what their how the learning has changed from that perspective do you feel that your relationships with with parents have changed in, in this, are you, is there any involvement with parents in the elementary school level to middle school level? Oh yeah, a ton. Um, yeah. So my inbox is always a shambles and, and a lot of it is, you know, just me kind of politely sending people screenshots very carefully because when you've paid an arm and a leg, like you're not going to recheck twice, which button you pushed, you're not going to respell a login. You're not going to, look up documentation for why something doesn't work. You're just going to like rage quit and want to message someone and want to say what, you know, this isn't working. So I do have a lot of conversations. Usually they end nicely. So I have actually had being on a periphery as a teacher, like maybe you don't see as many families, but I've been like on FaceTime with everybody and on calls and, you know, figuring out what, what's going on with the Wi-Fi or what, what's happening why isn't this thing opening this way on your end? Like it is on the teacher's end and, you know, mostly avoiding tears and frustration, sometimes spending hours in a little bit of frustration because, you know, ed tech is, uh, is, is awful. Um, I mean, zoom isn't even for teachers. So like they're, they're not trying, so it's not, doesn't have any school things, but, there's a lot of things that are sold to us as like, here's an app for school. And it's like, they don't have any teachers working for them and they're barely trying. Right. So you're the guy, you're the guy everyone goes to, right? No and pressure. then I, you know, just like either like they have a fight with me or I go and have a fight with whoever sold us the app. And, um, it's, yeah, it's a little pressure. I mean, but it's okay. I mean, that's, uh, like, what a, isn't it great to have a job 
and yeah. like I have income. So like, okay, so I took my kid for x-rays, but it's okay. Right. Whatever it costs, um, you know, we have, we have insurance for this. So uh, that's definitely not nothing. Right. It's all about trying to stay positive in all of this because it, there is so much change. And we as human beings like uh, routine and we like things the way we've known them for so long. And we're all having to adapt in each in our own different way. So speaking of that, is there a world where you have any advice to parents who are on these Zooms with their kids, who are trying their hardest, who are emailing you, but also have their job, what advice would you give them to help make the experience more enjoyable? Is it okay to like, plug other podcasts? Are you, are yeah, you guys- oh yeah, of course. Of course. We love other podcasts, for so, sure. Common Sense Media has a podcast called Parent Trapped. I think they finished their season, but I'm hoping it comes back because I listened, like I would wake up, super early the inbox would be already blowing up and I would spend my few minutes like my kid wasn't walking at the time yet so I would take my kid in the stroller or on me and just take a little walk half checking with one hand on the emails that are coming in and listen to parent trapped and they just made the show as this kind of went down to try to talk to parents so that's why, like, I don't want to give advice because there are, you know, they have experts. Common Sense on their YouTube, they're doing, like, a webinar a week. Like, there was one that's, like, that was called Parenting for Black Lives. That was amazing. That was a couple of, uh, or maybe a month ago now. Uh, they're just great, and there's so much content. They've got a thing called Wide Open School, which also resonates with this idea of connected learning. So... You go on this site and they've got, here's a schedule for where you can go to school online today for any topic. You can search by just by art or just by mathematics. You can search by age bands. But the idea is that common sense is collecting all this content for you. So if you're a parent who's on Zooms and your kids on Zooms or like everything is, you know, you have like five seconds you open this thing up and it's like this is everything that's available today wow that's fantastic and so it's just the kind of everything for parents i point to common sense part i you know i've i'm one of my friends uh works for them here in la and i partner with them a lot they all the like digital citizenship curriculum that teachers use it's it's free and it's on there and I end up using a lot of their lessons for like, how do you talk to kids all different ages about media balance? Like not just, okay, don't get hacked, but like, you know, putting down your phone, like not bringing your phone to bed. Like probably the most important thing I'll teach like a fifth grader is to not bring their phone to bed. If I can convince them of that, like all the, like whatever, all the HTML, JavaScript, everything else is kind of maybe going to be irrelevant by the time they, if they even decide to go into tech or what they want to do. But like, if I convince them to not just like sleep with it under the pillow, I think that's probably, that's probably the best. And I'm sure I'm, I feel like most parents know that intuitively, but it's good to have like science and calm and like also like love of technology talking about it. Cause it's not like, 
internet is evil. It's like, this is a really great, amazing thing. Just it's not good for when you're asleep and when it wakes you up and you're checking to see what your friend posted on Instagram. And it's so hard to regulate. It's as a parent, even when you know all of the facts and you have all those conversations, because, you know, as parents, then you start to look at your own relationship with your own cell phone. And it's hard that like monkey see monkey do element. I love that that's like something really important to you as a technology teacher that you try to teach kids because that's something we really try to implement in our house. And it's tough. It's really tough nowadays. I mean, um, the social dilemma, I know it's a documentary everyone's talking about right now, but it's very, very true. Um, it's, you know, is, are you using the phone or is the phone using you, you know, kind of element. And it's really hard to um, have that resonate with uh, younger kids when that's, that's their whole world. Um, every day, all day. And especially now uh, with kids on Zoom, which again is a really positive thing given um, if they're able to be in class and keep up some sort of schedule. Um, What is your schedule like at this point as a teacher? Because I can imagine, you know, hearing from you that it can be frustrating for parents when something doesn't work and you're kind of on the receiving end of that. And I'm sure you're also on the receiving end of like, you know, kids being frustrated, but I'm sure that your day starts much earlier and starts much later than it ever has, considering that you've had to completely rework your curriculum and your way of teaching. I just recorded a, so I, something that I think teachers have to do is um, record a lot of kind of content and and provide it so kids can get to it asynchronously regardless of whether so there's some teachers their day is just being on zoom it's very straightforward they just they start and they just sit on zoom all day because that's the schedule and there's like a premium to getting right especially like if it's like a private school it's like well i you know i didn't i didn't pay to scroll through somebody posting crash course videos so like let me get this person so like homeroom teachers, like I know in my school, they have all the lessons and then they have individual conferences and group conferences and small groups. And basically they just like zoom all day. And then when they're finally done, their inbox is full of all this content that the kids have created that now they have to give feedback to, which they record messages, especially if kids are young, because maybe they're still learning to read. And so for what teachers have been telling me, like, especially in the spring, people were just like not sleeping or going to sleep at like unspeakable hours. And my sense is now is they're still super busy. I mean, if they're either they're emailing me on the weekend, um, but I know some schools are doing more asynchronous. Um, so that means like providing the content and then the kid can go at their own pace. And I think that's really important like for, for equity for that kid, because if you, for some, like you constantly have kids who are like, well, you happen to be in a car for the time that that zoom is scheduled or you happen, something else is going on or there's, here's my class, but I, you try to call on someone and whenever they unmute, you hear like their parent is yelling at their coworkers through the wall or the, 
the younger kid is also in a zoom and so they're trying to like mute themselves so they want to participate but like you know there's only so many spaces unless you have you know infinite space or access to soundproofing so you have to provide additional content which means additional time like when mm -hmm. i was they didn't let me in to when he was going in to get the x-rays so i was recording a video and i found out that my car seat makes messes up the virtual background so i just had to i had to shed the illusion just to be like okay look so hi i'm in my car it's just like you get a lot of uh like youtuber vibes um and That's i know what i was even, gonna say you guys seem like you're you're having to create your own content you're almost like youtubers but then on top of that you're teaching and then you have to correct the work i mean it seems like you are doing so many different jobs all at once you have to get it in when you can. You're in your car trying to <laughs> make a video and make content for these kids. It's insane. As as a as the how do we help make this virtual experience better? Do you have any tips for anyone listening who is either a parent, a student, or a teacher? How do we make this experience better? I mean, I think the number one thing, because like I'll be okay, you know? And I have to say, right, like I'm, I'm making, you know, I'm acting like a YouTuber and then intermittently live streaming, right? Like for all the Zooms, but I have teachers who had, hadn't posted anything on to YouTube before who are recording videos and creating content and running into things. You, you probably know it as, as people have put out content and right. When you create something, then you want to do a second take or a third take or, you know, suddenly you hear the sound of your voice or you see your cat running across your face or something. And, you know, a, a five minute thing could be, could turn into, you know, I don't know, it could be hours, right? Yeah. Depending on, you know, there's that teachers, we, you know, a lot of us, we have a lot of, you know, the type A um, personalities, right? So, um, I was trying to convince my colleagues to be weary of sinking their precious summer hours into like designing their Bitmoji classroom. Cause that was, I don't know if you've seen that, that was such a trend. And at first I was, I went through the whole thing. Cause at first I was like, Oh no, this is this cringy, like corny stuff. And like, why are we doing it? And then I realized that part of it was, well, it's a very valid way of like teachers re you know, we lost our physical space. And so we we're trying to reclaim some sort of virtual space and reclaim our teacher presence and, and who we are and recreate this, as, as corny as it is, this little cartoony classroom that's supposed to represent yeah. us being, you know, this person that's, that's more than just the content that we're teaching. Right. So I feel like I went back on my backlash and seeing this like, well, is this like just me being like, and dismissing it because all these women are spending all this time you know carefully creating the bitmoji and the haircut and the coffee cup you can make it you know you can turn those into links and make it interactive um and it's is the worst web design ever like it's a terrible <laughs> it's not you know because it's not good for accessibility features it's hard to know what to click on like it's not good and, but I was, what I was trying to say was I was hating on it at first and then recognizing that there's, you know, 
we are more than our content. And so the teachers, I think it was very valuable. Teachers were trying to say, how can I communicate that I am this person and I am this warm person that wants to welcome you to the space that I'm trying to create for you? Yeah. Um, which, which happens to us a lot. We're, uh, we're always like inventing the worldwide web, like 10 years behind. Like a couple of years ago, we had a trend called HyperDocs, which was like just basically a web page, but it was like a Google doc with links to other things. So a web page. And sometimes we just reinvent the web old school because we're trying to make, make something nice for our students. And it's, um, and it's tragic and, but also maybe good. Mm-hmm. Well, we started um, this podcast speaking with a kindergarten teacher and the idea that I think sometimes as um, parents, it's so easy to forget how invested teachers are in our kids' lives, you know, between that drop-off and pickup time, um, just how much of your own life as a teacher you're putting towards bettering your students' lives so that they can go on and, and, you know, be this next generation, but that you're invested, you emotionally care, you want them to be excited, you want them to be ready to learn, you want them to feel encouraged and, and to feel smart and empowered. And um, it's really incredible, just all teachers at this point, um, what you're up against, and how you all are beautifully rising to the occasion. And so on that note, I do have a question for you. Did you have a teacher growing up that inspired you to, to teach children? Yeah, um, I saw that. Um, I think I'm one of those. I feel like there are two types that go into teaching. There's the person who's tortured by school and is just going in to save the other kid like them because there's nobody there like them. And then there's the other person who's like me, like the sort of the Hermione type that likes a lot of their teachers and has a lot of success. You know, I've re-examined my success through like different lenses now, thinking about how much, you know, being like a white guy made that a lot easier in, you know, in the spaces that I was. Um, I had a teacher, uh, Diana Getch. She's also a published poet. She taught for 20 years in New York public schools. And then for another good chunk, she, uh, teaching in, in, in juvie. Um, and she's written about it a little bit, uh, too, in, in some of her poetry. And just so so lucky that I got to be, I happened to be at school when she was uh, teaching there and get to take a bunch of her classes and you know to still sort of sort of be a little a little in touch um definitely that's that's kind of, so that's the particular the, the the hermione types we usually have like a the one that's the teacher that you like look up to and mm-hmm. i learned how to like how to speak like how to how I, how I, I think how I sound in the classroom and how I talk, like my teacher voice, based that I basically stole from this person. <laughs> um, but there was something you said before. I, w- I feel like I went rambling, and then there, um, you said, "Well, what, 
what's the message to all those non-teacher people? And I think it's to, to support teacher unions because like I was saying, like, I'll be okay. You know, my school has nice HR being, being tech. I'm like pretty, pretty indispensable. So I'm not, not, I'm not as stressed about my livelihood, but there are a lot of teachers that are like being forced to make really tough and not good decisions. Right. And keeping in mind everything else that we've shared, I feel like the way to, the best way to support those teachers is to support their union um, if they have one, which a lot of them do, and to kind of be lockstep with what, what they're doing as they organize. Because a lot of times it's that's their one recourse against, you know, the pure nonsense or at worst, like really evil things that are going on in different states or jurisdictions where people are forced to decide, like, you know, to risk their family and their students or to risk like losing their job. Um, And so I just feel like that's, that's what's always hanging over me when I'm like complaining about my inbox or somebody, you know, hitting me up to like tell them to restart their computer is like, like, that's still a privilege that I have this gig and I'm going to be okay. Mm. Such a good mentality to have especially now. And I know it's been such a long day. So thank you so much. Just want to say a huge thank you to Sarah Rowe and Alex Fishman. Your perspectives were unbelievable and we really appreciate how candid you got with us. So please join us for part two of this two-part teacher love letter series. We're going to sit down with Allie Kirby next week. She is a high school teacher. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.